Welcome to this two-part presentation that we're doing on Daniel chapter 2 and the plan of redemption. The origin of this, hit, this presentation started back in the fall of 2008, and I have outlined that in this brochure that I have during the seminars. And it tells the history also on the back. Basically, back in the fall of 2008, I was sharing the presentation that you are seeing part one of, and I left frustrated thinking there's got to be a simpler way to explain the life-giving truths that my Heavenly Father has helped show me in Daniel chapter 2. And so after praying and studying more in the next two or three months, God answered that prayer of helping to present these life-giving truths in a more understandable, cogent manner. But like he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says that he loves and delights to give us abundantly above all we ask or think. And so not only did he in the next few months share with me the answer to my request, a better, more efficient way of explaining the truths, the life-giving truths in Daniel chapter 2, but he also helped me see a assurance of my salvation as you're seeing in this picture here and the simplest plan of salvation I've ever seen. That is in part two of this presentation and I would invite you to take a look at that as well. Anyway, the way the two connect together and I was wondering, thank you for all three, how's the two and three connect with one, in other words the plan of redemption and the assurance of salvation, how does that tie into Daniel chapter 2? Long story short, Daniel 2 is the foundation chapter of all the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, and then 7 simply adds to detail, which we will see in this first portion of the seminar called Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 7, we see that God the Father and the Son are in a work of pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment. And what they are doing is looking for the Christ-like character in His people, described up here by Christ at His Lord's Supper. And He is servant serving the Master and submitting to God in all things. This is what they are looking for in the books of Daniel chapter 2. So the connection then, or Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 and 10, and so the connection that we're seeing then is that since the Father and the Son are looking for this Christ-like character in my life, it only stands to reason that they must necessarily give us a simple plan by which we can know through Christ that what they're looking for in those books are there. Thus, the second part, the plan of redemption. And with that, we see an assurance of our salvation, and that is awesome to me. So having said that, I, I am, like I say in this brochure, my goal now and my willingness is to share these life-changing tru life truths with everyone in any media that I can possibly do. Um, this DVD is simply one method, and to show basically the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2 in the broader context of 
the great controversy. Secondly, the simple plan of redemption, having Christ-likeness in us with an assurance of our salvation in the pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment, also known as the great day of atonement. And additionally, my goal is to help each person in both of these parts, this one here on Daniel chapter 2, including the plan of redemption, to discover new truths about the character of the Father displayed by the Son on this earth and in the sanctuary system that shows us that they can be loved and admired in the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary of strength, in the holy place, and in the most holy place. So, having said that, there's one other point that I would like to encourage each person who will view this DVD, and that is this. Two years ago, I left McKee Foods Corporation after being there for 24 years with my Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, nudging me to do this. In the last two years, I wouldn't trade for anything professionally. So if God is nudging you to do some dream, I don't know what it is. It could be writing a composition. It could be writing music. It could be whatever. If He has encouraged you to do something for Him, go for it. You'll never regret it. Now let's take a look at Daniel chapter 2. Let us pretend that you are Nebuchadnezzar. You went to bed wondering, what's the future holding for the planet? And I'm going to read you a passage in Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 through 29, and Nebuchadnezzar is being told by Daniel what was going on the night that he had this dream that we will see here in a moment. Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 through 29 say this, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. So he is basically giving the worldly wise the ability, can you, put the, uh, can you answer the, the uh, question of the king? And he tells the king rhetorically, obviously they cannot. So in verse 28 he says, But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. That's what he was wondering when he went to sleep that evening. So he continues by saying, Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed are these. As for you, O king, your thoughts came upon your, into your mind upon your bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And yet how many times do people do the same thing? They go to psychics, they go to any other source to find out what's going to be in the future when they have it right here in the Word of God, specifically in this dream of Daniel chapter 2, seven symbols. And he that reveals secrets makes known to you what shall come to pass. So that was the question that you went to bed with, and this was the dream that you forgot. You asked your wise men, show me, they couldn't, and so Daniel comes in, shows first the dream, then followed by the interpretation. So Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw in your head the head of gold. You saw silver, brass, iron, feet of iron and clay. Then you saw this stone, which incidentally is the focal point of the entire dream, coming toward the large image and shatter it to pieces. Then that stone became a great mountain 
and fill the whole earth. Now we are wanting to see, okay, what's the interpretation? And so Daniel proceeds to tell him the interpretation. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel 2, 31 to 35. So now you actually see in your dream, in your, in your, your audience chamber, in your palace, what you dreamed and the interpretation which we are going to unfold in the next three sessions for this video DVD. Notice with me that there are actually seven symbols in Daniel chapter 2. There's the head of gold, the chest of arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, the feet of iron and clay, there is a stone and then there is a mountain. That is Daniel 2, verse 45. And what we're going to notice is this stone is the clear focal point of the entire dream. But at this point, let's pause and ask ourselves, what is one of the points of prophecy? What's the purpose of prophecy? And there can be several points of prophecy, but one of them that sometimes may be overlooked is to meet Christ in Daniel and become like him. Let's take a look at a few verses that actually show that. Let's turn here to John chapter 5 and verse 39 and we will read the following. John chapter 5 verse 39 says this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. So the point of scripture is to show Christ. All right, having seen that, let's now notice another passage. This time we want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16. This begins very briefly by saying that all Scripture is given by inspiration. So that says all Scripture meaning Daniel 
and Revelation. So if we put these two together, notice what we see. We discover that when we study the Scripture, we should find Christ. Daniel and Revelation are Scripture, so we should actually find Christ in the book of Daniel. Then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, by beholding Christ, we become changed like Him. So what that means is that when I am looking at Daniel, I should see Christ and become changed like Him, specifically meaning that I will become more like Christ, meaning I will then discover I am living for others and submitted to God in all things. This is the product of studying Daniel and Revelation. Let's think of a few other verses that we want to take in, in consideration here. This time we are looking at Daniel chapter 10, or Daniel chapter 12 that is, the last chapter. Daniel is wrapping the entire book up. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 10. And notice what it says here. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So Daniel chapter 12 verse 10 says, The wise shall understand. Understand what? Primarily, who Christ is, be changed into His likeness, meaning they will become more others-focused and submitted to God. Now let's look at one other verse, and we're going to watch a video clip. Let's look now to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Christ says here, The wise hear and do what I say. Those who are not wise, they will hear, but not do. So let's take a look at this next video clip to see what happens if we are reading Scripture, specifically Daniel and Revelation, but not being changed in His image, meaning not becoming others-centered and submitted to God in all things. Watch what happens. Every treasure that those, the house owner has that's in that house is being washed down the stream. I mean, just imagine for a moment You and I have the treasures of every prophecy in Daniel and Revelation. But if that knowledge in our house is not seeing Christ and being changed into His image, Christ says that we will be washed away. So let's not have that happen to us. At this point, I wanted to take a look at two quotations from the Spirit of Prophecy. We've built this thought of what per, uh, prophecy is all about from the Bible. 
Let's look at these two quotations here. This is rather fascinating. This is from Testimonies to Ministers 114, paragraph 3. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers, and according to what we've seen up here, believers are the ones who hear what Christ says and do it. Believers will have an entirely different religious experience. And then she explains what she means. They, the believers, those who hear and do, will be given, that makes sense, why would God give more to people who hear but don't do? They, the hearers and doers, will be given more because they're doing with what they have already. Such glimpses, that's a behold word, by beholding we become changed, they will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that heart, their affections, their mind, their intellect, will be impressed not with more material about these symbols, but the character that all must, meaning all can, through Christ, develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. So there's the focus again from Scripture, see Christ be changed into His likeness, meaning live for others, submit to God. Look at this next um, Spirit of Prophecy quotation. This one is taken from the book Education, page 154, paragraph 3. The context is Job helping God answer some questions that the devil has thrown his way. She jumps into this paragraph saying, Unselfishness, the principle of God's kingdom, is the principle that, God, that Satan hates. Its very existence he denies. From the beginning of the great controversy, he has endeavored to prove God's principles of action to be selfish, and he deals in the same way with all who serve God. To disprove Satan's claim is the work of Christ and all who bear his name. So, again, Daniel 2 is much, much broader than just a single event called the second coming. It's being changed by Christ into his likeness and thus helping Christ disprove the devil's claim. Think of the people who've done that, the little maid. She didn't act like um, a person who was vindictive against her master. Instead, by beholding Christ, she told the one who was being mean to her in the sense that Naaman took her away from her home, you have leprosy, I will show you the cure. That's a little child changed by beholding Christ and thus helping refute in this great controversy scenario here that there is unselfishness and she joins Christ in helping disprove the devil's claim. At this point, I would like to um, take a look at the focus of this dream in Daniel chapter 2. And to do that, I have developed, with God's help, a tool that took 23 years to put together. It's this chart. You have two pieces. You have the actual chart, and you have an index. In the chart, you have, this opens up to 54 inches in length. 
the front is lettered A, I mean the front is numbered 1 through 8. The back is lettered A through J. So let me take you back to the front to briefly give you a tool, a reference tool that will help you share the three angels' messages in the context of Daniel 2, great controversy, assurance of salvation, and the plan of redemption all wrapped up into one package. What you have at the front is the foundation for the whole chart. You have three questions. The first question is, have you ever been falsely accused? God has, so he knows what you feel like. Secondly, the question is, how did you feel? Sad? Betrayed? God did as well. But most importantly, that third question is, how did you resolve that? Did you resolve it by force or by truth and love? And if you will see right here at the very center of the chart, you have the Calvary and two hearts representing the repentant sinner and the Savior. In other words, this rather than a thunderbolt is the way God has been answering the questions of the devil the last 6,000 plus years. So the purpose of the chart is to show the relationship of the great controversy between um, Christ and Satan over the character of God, His law, and His kingship. So for example, when you take a look on the inside, you have 11 points color-coded charted to the right. You have a directory at the top that shows you just like you go into a mall, you want to go to Sears, the directory tells you to go a certain direction and you'll meet the, the, um, the location. So here is an idea on the front that helps tie into this great controversy scenario. If you wanted to see the genealogy of man from Adam down to Christ, you would look here, point three, and it shows you to look on panels one through eight. Up here in this, this directory you have a genealogy directory that says it's in this color spanning this direction. So let's go there for a Bible teaser. This is my favorite trick question I like on this, this chart. If you look down here to Enoch and Methuselah, I would like to ask you a question. So my favorite trick question I like to ask people is down here on this genealogy, who is the oldest person from this earth? And most people will naturally gravitate, oh, Methuselah, 969 years old. But if we think about this, and it's on your chart here, and that is, Earth is about 6,000 years old. Enoch was born about 600 years after the Earth was created. That means that Enoch was about 5,400 years old. So he's actually the oldest person who, who um, lived and is still living. Moses is about 3,500 years old. Elijah, who is translated, is about 2,800 years old. The people who came were resurrected with Christ's resurrection are about 2,000 years old. Then you come to Measley Methuselah at 969. So actually, father and son hold the record. Dad, 5,400 years old and counting. Son, 969. But how does that fit into the great controversy scenario? Think of this. Who on this planet buying into the devil's principles of selfishness is 5,400 years old, not one. So even in that mute detail, that one detail says God is right. So in fact, if you want to enjoy wrinkle-free life for all eternity, join Prince Charming. He's the one that can produce real, lasting, eternal, wrinkle-free existence. On the back, you will see two panels. 
plan B, the plan of redemption that summarizes the next section. The next three panels explain Daniel, which we will be covering here, and I'll be referring to this several times. The next two panels are about Revelation. The next panel is why the seventh day is correct, who changed it, state of the dead, year day principle, all this wrapped in the great controversy theme. So now having said that, let's turn to panel C in the back and look at point two, and this is the way we will resume back to the video. Notice that that stone right here of the seven symbols is the key focus. When I was in college, I was told there were about 143 words in, or 140 words in the dream. And so I took that from a, my favorite word, uh, Bible software, put it into Microsoft Word, let Word count it, and found out in the King James there are 143 words. Now watch this. We have an introduction, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Europe, and the stone. And notice how many words on each one of those sections. In the introduction, 25 words. In Babylon, 7. Medo-Persia, 7. Greece, 7. Rome, 4. That's easy to count. His legs of iron. That's all that the, the, the inspired writer, Daniel, gave to that pagan Rome. Then, the Europe, the feet and toes, 9. Notice that, a whopping 84 words given to the stone. Just from the sheer numbers, it's clear that this stone here is the focal point of the entire dream. So for those who like to see this in bar graphs or pie graphs, the next part is for you. Here is 84 words, 60%, 59%, basically 60% of the entire dream given to the stone. Here are the others, including the introduction. This is larger than all of them. So again, clearly the focal point of the entire dream is that stone. In fact, rightly understood, that stone is the focus of all of Daniel, all of Revelation, all the Bible, all the Great Controversy, all the Plan of Redemption. And we will unpack that in this session and more so in the one on the Plan of Redemption. So again, this stone is the focal point of the entire dream. So let's summarize what we're going to see in this presentation. Again, the focus of Daniel 2 is that stone, symbol 6. And this is an overview of what we will see in this presentation. The stone right here is defined in these verses as the kingdom of glory. In fact, this is the kingdom that Christ said He was going to receive in Luke chapter 19, verses 11, 12, and 15. And we'll get to that later on in this presentation, um, this, this uh, Daniel 2 portion. Where is the stone cut from? It is cut from the kingdom of grace, this mountain. The stone is cut from a mountain. That's Daniel 2.45. The stone is symbolizing the kingdom of glory. The mountain symbolizes the kingdom of grace. That's what you're seeing over here. Over here, we have a red line that begins at the fall when we first needed God's grace. 
and continues to the end of this earth's history at the second coming. And this is also called the workshop of grace. Every son and daughter of this planet who's accepted Christ's invitation is in this red line. Our first parents are the first citizens or subjects in this kingdom. Then this symbol, which we'll unpack more in this seminar, the symbol here God gives is the mountain. The kingdom of grace is this mountain. Then during the pre-advent judgment, he's going to review all the citizens in this kingdom arrow of red and those who are like Christ in character, namely live for others, submit to God, like Christ, whom they've been beholding in Daniel and Revelation, will be seen as such and they will be the citizens of this kingdom of glory stone and they will continue for all eternity with um, Enoch, 5400 years old, and any other Bible character that you like. He will be a part of that kingdom. Then the next reporter's question is why? Why does God cut this kingdom of glory stone from this mountain kingdom of grace? We will discover in Matthew 22:10 through 14 there's mixed company. In other words, some citizens in that red arrow over there are wearing Christ's robe of righteousness. In other words, they are actually not just pretending whenever they go to church to be church people. They are actually seeking by God's grace to be like Christ, meaning they are seeking to live for others, submitting to God, and they are being transformed that way. Most citizens, however, are not wearing Christ's robe of righteousness. The next reporter's question is who? Who cuts the stone kingdom from the mountain kingdom? The Father and the Son. Next reporter's question of when. When do the Father and the Son cut the stone kingdom of glory from the mountain kingdom of grace? They do so in the pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment, also known as the great day of atonement. And then the last question of the reporter is how, or in this case, the basis of the cutting is Christ's character, living for others, Matthew 10, 42 to 45, and submission to God's will, Matthew 26 through 39. So having said that, I would like to take us through just a brief review of the six main objectives that I have in this seminar in two parts, Daniel 2 and the plan of redemption with assurance of our salvation. And one thing I would like to point out that, that gives assurance of our salvation is if we, take a th if we think about this, Moses, as recorded in Exodus 39, verse, verse uh, 43, inspects all these pieces of furniture, and those pieces of furniture, as holy as they were, are inanimate, and Christ did not die for them, yet they passed Moses' inspection before they became a part of the sanctuary. Likewise, what we'll discover is that just like the earthly physical temple, we, Christ's real spiritual temple, also have a place in His temple that's unique. Just like the candlestick had a unique place and a contribution to make, you and I have a unique contribution to make. And just like those pieces of furniture, they were inspected. That's the pre-advent judgment. But here's the point that's encouraging for most Seventh-day Adventists who sometimes do not see this. They're thought as a bifurcation. In other words, it's either or. Either investigation or assurance. 
It's both. It's both. What we see then in model form is just as the pieces of furniture in Moses' sanctuary passed his inspection, just so every individual who is a subject of the mountain kingdom of grace can be inspected in the pre-advent judgment, also known as the investigative judgment, and pass an even closer scrutiny of one even greater than Moses, namely Jesus Christ, and pass. They can pass. They can pass. You should have assurance. You do not need to be discouraged about assurance of salvation in the context of the pre-advent judgment. It's all in the three angels' messages. So here are the six uh, overall objectives that I have in this seminar. Number one, my primary objective is right here, is to increase our love and admiration for our wonderful Heavenly Father and His Son in Daniel 7, 2, 8, 9, and 10 through 12 in the pre-advent judgments, in the most holy place of what I'm beginning to call more specifically, and it's biblical, the heavenly sanctuary of strength. That's awesome. Notice what this says in John 14, 9. Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Christ is in the pre-advent judgment in this picture. Back here on the mercy seat in the heavenly sanctuary is this bright light that represents the Father. Since we find Christ kind in the Gospels, we know on His testimony, the Father's kind. Christ is patient. The Father's patient. Anything you can tell, tell about the Father, the Son, you see about the Father. This we will find in many perhaps unknown ways or overlooked ways in Daniel, specifically in the most holy place, and we'll get to that. The second objective is to show that Daniel is infinitely broader than a list of metals and their dates and also more than a single event called the Second Coming. Instead, the primary focus of Daniel 2 is the stone that is the kingdom the God of heaven sets up that looks like Christ in character. That's the stone. That's the focus. And the very focus of that stone is Christ-like character. Again, showing Christ the chiefest serving all. If the great controversy were reversed here, the devil will be here. All his subjects were here. But there are two different characters here. Christ is showing the character of God. He, the chief, serves others and is submitted to God. That stone, therefore, is the focus of Daniel and Revelation, the Bible, the great controversy, and the plan of redemption. The third objective is to increase our desire to be citizens of the kingdom that the God of heaven and Jesus Christ are even now setting up in Daniel 2, the kingdom that they plan for us from the foundation of the world, and increase our desire to have the selfless, other-centered character of their kingdom. I mean, look at this, this passage we've seen many, many times, but it'll make more sense in the context of what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 2. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then shall the king, the king of glory, say to, his, to them on his right hand, his subjects of glory, the sheep, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit what? The kingdom of glory, the stone kingdom of glory prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God created us this way. We fell from it. And through the plan of redemption that we'll study in the next section, He will show us how we can be made just like that. And then think about this. Prince Charming has a personal residence just for you. This is awesome. Not only is He going to welcome you into a beautiful place that we've been told 
by Paul, eye hath not seen nor ear heard what enters into the, uh, what, what God has prepared for us. He not only has that for you, which is awesome enough, he says, I have a personal residence. Do you like the sea? Build one by the sea. Do you like one in the mountains? Go build one in the mountains. I mean, why would we want to miss out on a kingdom like that? That's awesome. Fourth objective is to show us that we can have assurance of our salvation. Think about this. The same gospel writer, John, writes three things, and we will discuss this more in detail in the book, uh, in, in the uh, second section of this, this presentation. Namely, he writes Revelation 14.6 that says the everlasting gospel. Then the same Bible writer, John, the beloved John, writes Revelation 14.7 that has the judgment. And then in 1 John 5.13, he says, you can know you have eternal life. Same Bible writer talks about the gospel in the context of the pre-advent judgment with full assurance of our salvation. It's not an either-or, friends. It is everything together. And the better we understand this stone, the better we will understand this. So assurance of salvation we, will, we can have. We're going to show in the second part, we're going to see two verses and one simple illustration that you can then, through Christ, smile at the law that used to condemn you and, and, and scare you. So what we're seeing in objective number four is that today, in the pre-advent judgment, you can have assurance of your salvation. In the second section, we're actually going to see that with two verses and one simple illustration, that this is biblical, therefore it's reality, it's not hype. And that's in the second section. I encourage you to actually take a look at that. The fifth of the six objections, uh, objectives, is to repaint a beautiful picture of our loving Heavenly Father and His dear Son and their awesome kingdom back into our minds. But why? Here's the reason. The devil has masterfully, over the last 6,000 years in this planet and who knows how long in, he in the heavenly sanctuary with a third of the angels that fell, he has masterfully projected his tyrannical character onto Christ, saying that Christ is man's real tyrant offering only bondage, and by implication that he is the real liberator, the one who offers true liberty. So what we see here is Moses, a type of Christ, the real deliverer. We see here Pharaoh, the type of the devil, and what he did in the real Exodus story is project his character over on Moses and unfortunately initially the people were down on Moses and they had forgotten Moses wasn't the one that, that set their quota he wasn't the one that was being unreasonable Pharaoh was and so what we're seeing then is that God allowed in the ten plagues a dual purpose. He allowed Pharaoh to see that he's not really that powerful. And secondly, he increased in his people's desire, a desire to leave Egypt and to develop by developing a character, the tyrannical character. And this will actually happen at the end from the close of probation to the second coming for the 144,000. But that's another topic altogether. But the last and final objective that I have in this presentation is for each one of us to do what Elijah invited the people on Mount Carmel, and that is to contrast the two, God and the devil, and make a choice. In other words, we are looking at the Prince of Light, Christ, and the Prince of Darkness, 
so we may choose our master based on the knowledge of their character. The Prince of Darkness is here, and this is all he produces is destruction. Prince of Light, just think of what, what, when he says, I have all power, what does he do with power in marriage? Reunites marriages, reunites kids, reunites. But when this prince is given power, think of what happens when he has Job, when, in Job's situation. He fractures marriages, he kills kids, he destroys wealth. And Christ says this right here in John chapter 10, 10. The thief, the devil, comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Elijah's message in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21 says, And Elijah came unto all the people, God's people, and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if the devil, then follow him, implying what Christ said in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. So in conclusion, I have this appeal to each person who's watching this. The last few years, since February of 2009, when I first gave this presentation, it's becoming more and more obvious in my mind that every person who has ever been married and everyone who's not currently married has at their earliest times been developing what I call a spouse checklist. In other words, let's just say that there were three things that you were looking for in a spouse. When you were a child, perhaps you saw your parents do very well with finances and you made a mental note, consciously or unconsciously, when I have a spouse, that's what I want. I want that spouse to do finances like mom and dad. Or perhaps they didn't do certain other things well and so you made a mental note, I really don't want that in my spouse. The point is you're developing a spouse checklist so that when you get to your, your dating period, if you're not just taking up time, what you're actually doing is you're seeing a revelation of the character of the potential mate and checking that against the spouse checklist and in this illustration if there's but three things you're looking for you as the guy are not ready to pop the question to propose until all three are met as revealed in the character on those dates and if you're the woman you're not ready to say yes until all three of those ideas or needs are met in, in the spouse. So in this presentation Daniel 2 and the plan of redemption. My goal is to so contrast with the feeble efforts that this um, form of clay can do with God's power and help is to show you the contrast between Christ and the devil and show you hopefully that he is the best one. He's Prince Charming. In fact, this one right here can help Enoch not die but live forever no wrinkles because Enoch allowed Christ to help him become like Christ, meaning live for him and submit to God in all things. So thank you for beginning this process and I hope by God's grace that you will see Daniel 2 in a new way in the light of the great controversy with an understanding of the simple plan of redemption, the next part, with full assurance of your salvation. God bless. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.